If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 9. I want to start at verse 36, but we're going to be looking at a little bit more of that. So my question, as a small church, as a, and not being sad, I mean, but where we are with what we have, we know that there's churches in this area that have more resources. We know that uh, you, can, you can become self-defeating looking at the world. I'm not bringing you down. I'm just talking about the picture in the world today. A pastor looks at the world and he, he could say, uh, well, the world just doesn't want to know about God. Well, I can tell you in every age, the world didn't want to know about God. But in every age, there have been people that have come to God. And God's still in the saving business. He hadn't got out of it. It's just that a lot of his people may have gotten out of it. But uh, God still changes lives. He's shown me that this year, as crazy as this year has been all around. He's shown me that there's still people that want to know God, that want to walk with the Lord, but they just need somebody to show them. They need somebody to, to point them to Jesus Christ. They need somebody that will pray for them. They need somebody that will care for them. Read here in uh, verse number 36. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord, of the, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into the harvest. I've heard this message, and justifiably so. It's often used as a, as a motivation to push you out into missions or to push you out into witnessing. We get out in the world and we don't have a lot of courage sometimes, but this message is often used to say, hey, you're the laborer. You're the one that needs to go out. You're the one that needs to do the work. And that's a true statement. But I want you to look at the context of the verse. Jesus says to pray, therefore, that he'll send laborers into the harvest. There's some things that we need to pray for as a church. We've learned over the last weeks that I asked God, Lord, increase our faith. I told you this in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. At the end of my prayer, I said, Lord, increase our faith. I want to tell you, I walked out of the building a little bit scared. I know sometimes when you ask God to increase your faith or increase your patience, God will send trials your way so that you know that you can rely on him. And God sent a little bit of a trial to us. But the Lord's been increasing my faith this week. I've I've got to see him answer prayer. I'm not going to talk about them all here. But you know what it is. We talked about it in Sunday school. But God's been increasing our faith a little bit. I've seen God answer some prayers. Some prayers take place. The first thing that we need to do as a church is we need to pray. Because if we just shove people out, if we just say, hey, and beat you over the head, you're supposed to be witnessing, you're supposed to be doing this, you're supposed to be, we all know what we're supposed to be doing. What we need to know is how to do it. What we need is to know that we're not alone doing it. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I'll read you a little story here. After the great Chicago fire, Dwight L. Moody's church was in ashes. He went over to England in 1872 not to preach, but to listen to others preach while his new church was being built. He'd been preaching. He just wanted to sit and listen to some preaching. One Sunday morning, a church he was at asked him, to preach. It was a church in London. But when he did, 
somehow the spiritual atmosphere was lacking when he got up there to preach. The church just seemed dead. You ever been in a church like that? Maybe it's been this one once or twice, but y'all don't answer that. You get in a church and the, the, the preaching's going on and it just feels dry, like a desert. I know there's been a couple people here that have felt like that. Lord, help me. He's praying. He's helping me get better. Right, you say, don't beat yourself up, preacher. Look, if we don't, you know, judgment begins at the house of God. And judgment needs to begin with every one of us looking at our own selves. But you get in a service and it's just dry. God's not speaking to you. God's not moving. God's not doing anything. And you just, you just begin to, you just, when this is over, where are we going to eat lunch? That's all you worry about. I tell you, for the preacher, it can be rough, too. When he gets up there and it's dry and there's something out there, there's somebody holding a grudge or there's something going on. So D.L. Moody gets up there and said, but somehow the spiritual atmosphere was lacking. He confessed afterward that he never had such a hard time preaching in his life. Everything was dead. And as he tried to preach, he said to himself, what a fool I was to accept the offer to preach. I came here to listen, and here I am preaching. After the Chicago fire that wiped out most of Chicago and wiped out his church, Brother Moody just wanted to go and listen to the Lord and see what God had in mind next. And then he realized that he had to preach again that night. And only the fact that he had already promised that he would preach kept him faithful to the engagement. But when Mr. Moody, when Mr. Moody entered the pulpit at night and faced the crowded congregation, he was conscious of a new atmosphere the powers of an unseen world seemed to have fallen upon the audience. As he drew towards the close of his sermon, he became emboldened to give out an invitation. And as he concluded, he said, If there is a man or woman here who tonight will accept Jesus Christ, please stand up. And at once, about 500 people rose to their feet. Man, what a night. Thinking that there must be some mistake, he asked the people to be seated. And then, in order that there might be no possible misunderstanding, he repeated the invitation, couching it in even more definite and difficult terms. Again, the same number rose, still thinking that something must be wrong, Mr. Moody, for the second time, asking the standing men and women to be seated. And then he invited all who really meant to accept Christ to pass into the vestry. Fully 500 people did as he requested. And that was the beginning of a revival in that church and neighborhood, which brought Mr. Moody back from Dublin a few days later that he might assist the wonderful work of God. Y'all ever listen to Paul Harvey? So now the rest of the story. When Mr. Moody preached at the morning service, there was a woman in the congregation who had a sister who was an invalid. And when she returned home, she told her sister that the preacher, Mr. Moody from Chicago, the preacher was Mr. Moody from Chicago, and when she had heard this, she turned pale. What, she said? Mr. Moody from Chicago? I read about him some time ago in an American paper, and I've been praying God to send him to London and to our church. If I had known he was going to preach this morning, I, would have eat, I wouldn't have eaten breakfast. I would have spent the whole time in prayer. Now, sister, go out of the room, lock the door, and send me no dinner, no matter what, no matter who comes. Don't let them see me. I'm going to spend the whole afternoon in prayer. And so while Mr. Moody stood in the pulpit that had been like an ice chamber in the morning, the bedridden saint was holding him up before God. And God, whoever delights to answer prayer, poured out his spirit in mighty power. 
So the God of revivals who answered the prayer of his child for Mr. Moody is willing to hear and answer the faithful, believing prayers of his people today. That, was, that story was related by E.M. Bounds. I've been reading through his book. But when I, when I look out the world, I say, man, this is overwhelming. All this is going on. This is overwhelming. People seem to be turning away from God left and right. But the problem is, if you're relying on yourself and you're relying on what's in your hand, if you look over at your toolbox and say, this is all I got, you're not turning your eyes to the Lord. Imagine looking over at your toolbox and saying, this is all I got, and God's looking down on you and saying, here I am. Here I am, send me. When we pray to God, he, he's there in the darkness. He's there in the alone time. He's there in times that we can't even imagine. We could, we could come up and construct a story. We could say we could come up and devise some scheme to draw people in. We could devise some scheme to lead someone to Christ. We could come up with all kinds of fraudulent ways to, to lead people to Christ. Matter of fact, there's, there's some uh, witnessing courses or whatnot that are taught like sales pitches. You know, I did a little bit of sales, wasn't good at it, but they're taught like sales pitches, and, and you can close the deal, close the deal. When God's involved, it, it's so easy. When God gets on someone's heart, they just, things happen that you wouldn't have even conceived. And as a church, I want us as a church, I want you to mark this down. You got a journal? Go home and write it down. Say, Brother Keith was preaching about prayer and mission. I want us to know. I, want, I don't want us to look back and say, I faintly remember something. I want you to say, you know, today's the day. We're going to mark this day, and we're going to start praying. And we've talked about it. You don't pray just generally, because then you never know what God answered. I pray for world peace. Well, the Arab Emirates and Israel, they've signed a pact. Is that the world peace? I don't know. But when you start praying for that soul that you know, there's people on every one of your hearts that, uh, that weigh on your heart daily. Begin praying for them. We begin praying for each other as a church. You don't have a journal, start keeping it. Because I want this church to be a church of prayer. He said to pray for the harvest. Well, what's the harvest? Look over at uh, chapter, verse number 2. We're going to look at 2 through 8 and see some of the harvest that's out there. Because Jesus had been healing the sick. Jesus was busy in Matthew chapter 9 before he looked out and had compassion on the people. Verse number 2, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. It wasn't so much being sick. He said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, whereof think ye evil in your hearts. For whether it is easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed and go unto thy place. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. There's sinners that need forgiveness. 
There's people that are caught up in sin. You know, sin will grab a hold of you. It'll just keep a grip on you. And people get into a groove. People get into get caught into something. They, they, they get, it's so easy to just walk back into that lifestyle. Things that we don't understand. We know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. We know that there's none righteous, no, not one. We know that there are people that are struggling with sin. Can you imagine going to the same thing day after day, knowing it hurts you, but you go back to it? There are people that need forgiveness. There are people that have done things in God's, and they've done things, and the devil brings it up to them every single day. Every single day, and it paralyzes them, and it keeps them. Maybe it keeps them out of church. Oh, they'd never want me in that church if they knew what I did. They'd never, they'd never want me here if they knew what I did. God is the God of forgiveness. God is able to forgive sins. Sometimes man has trouble with it, but God has no trouble with it. If they'll only go to him. You pray for those that are caught up in that life of sin. I remember uh, Didi's cousin. He was caught up in a life of sin. He was dying of AIDS. I think I mentioned this one not too long ago. Won't go into details. He was dying of AIDS. His, his, his aunt, his, his mother, his adopted mother was praying for him the whole time before he even got into that. You know, we, we have to face the consequences of our sin. And he was on his deathbed, and it took several days, but he, he wrote his testimony out. Or he, he gave her his testimony while he had energy. And she would write some. And then they would come back to it the next day or come back to it in a little while. And, and while he was still here, he wanted to get that out. He wanted them to know. He wanted them to know what he, he wanted somebody to know what had happened to him, how his mother had been praying for him, and how he had gone down to Savannah and how he'd been caught up in the sin down there. And, the, and, and some of the things he hinted at that he did, that lifestyle, the drugs and the other things, and he wanted people to know, and he wanted people to know what God had done in his life. And he took the time to write it down. And I remember when he passed away, and I wasn't on the list for the funeral. And I, had, I, wasn't, I didn't want to be. But she showed me what he'd written. I read that. I said, would you let me read this at the funeral? And, you know, he, the Bible talks about he being dead yet speaketh. He had, he had lived his life. He had passed away, and that AIDS had taken his body. Well, I stood there, and he got to speak to all of his friends. He being dead, yet speaking. And he was telling them, God forgives. God still offers forgiveness. And he, his body was wrecked. The sin had taken it. But when he died... Y'all believe what you want now. This ain't Bible. This is just being there. Didi said, Didi was there. Uh, his mom said, you know, it was just this sweet smell when he passed away. He just passed away peaceful because he knew he was going into the arms of his Savior. And there's still sinners out there that need forgiveness. Amen. Look at verse number nine. Matthew chapter nine, verse number nine. Now, I'm only going in order here. And as Jesus passed from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me. 
and he arose and followed him. We need to be praying for a harvest of disciples. You know, it's one thing to get saved. It's another thing to follow Jesus Christ. It's one thing to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and to have a home in heaven. It's another thing to go after Jesus Christ. It's another thing to pursue him. There were many disciples in those days, but there were 12 that followed him everywhere he went. We need to pray for disciples. We need to pray for people that have a hunger and a thirst for God's word. And we need to pray for the wisdom. We need to pray for the grace to be able to work with them as a church. You want to make an impact? We can do a lot of things, but the one thing we can do is pray. Praying for disciples. Look at uh, verse number 10. And it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house. Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples and when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And you know, I, I just added a little bit here, but you know, there's the backslid that we need to be praying for. There's those that were raised in church, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not part, depart from it. There are those that have departed. There are those that, that know the way of the Lord, that have accepted Christ at some point in their life, but they get caught up in the world, and they get caught up in sin, and everything that's in front of them, they can see it, and they're just drawn to it. And they begin to get away from God just a little bit at first. I'm just going to do a little bit, like Lot pitching his tent towards Sodom, just a little bit, just a little bit. And they begin to drift further and further away from God. And you wouldn't even know that they're saved. We need to pray the Lord of the harvest. That he'll send someone to them. That he'll send that word fitly spoken. That he'll send that circumstance. Like the prodigal son, when he came to the end of himself, there in the pig slop, and he looked up. And he said, you know, the servants have it better in my father's house than I have it here. Here I'm beneath the pigs. In my father's house, the servants are above this. I'll go back now. I'll be content to be a servant in my father's house. I don't have to have the inheritance. I just want to be under his wings again. We need to pray for the backslidden. Who else is on the harvest? Look at verse number 20. It says, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood, 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Where she said within herself, if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. We need to pray for the sick and the suffering. And we already know this. We have our prayer list. But when we pray, we need to pray for those people that are sick and suffering. Pray that God will send somebody in their life that can help them. You know, when Caleb was little, we didn't know what was wrong with him. Now there's all kinds of things wrong with him. But I mean physically. When he was a kid, he was out in the hot tub on my, grand, on my father-in-law's porch. And Dee didn't see his head. He was just a little, little P-Dab, just a little fella. Dee looked out there and didn't see him. She walked out there, and there he was laying on the bottom of the hot tub looking up. He couldn't get up. He didn't have the strength to pull himself up above the water. If she hadn't have seen him, it might not have gone so well. 
and she pulled him out of the hot tub. We went to the doctor. We were going to the doctor for months. She did little things like she put him on her back, walked down the hallway, and by the time she got to the end of the hallway, he, he was sliding off of her back. What little kid do you know that can't hold on tight? But that's what was going on. There was a time we thought it might have been his heart, I think it was. And we rushed down to Jacksonville. She set us up at the Baptist Hospital, and we were down there for a week. We didn't know what was going on. And, and, and the doctors couldn't tell us what was going on. They thought it might have been myasthenia gravis or something like that. You know, there's people that are sick. They don't know what's going on. Maybe they just need the right person to tell them. When we got out here to Texas, they looked at him. They, they ran some test or something. They said he's got juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. It affects him. It affects his eyesight. It affects his muscles. I can't shove him out the yard, out into the yard with an axe, you know, and a lawnmower and tell him to get to work. I don't know what his limits are. But we finally had somebody to tell us what was going wrong there. We need to pray for the sick. Pray that they get a hold of the right person. Amen. I'm just talking to y'all this morning, a little bit of preaching. Praying for the harvest. Jesus looks out there and he's moved with compassion. His whole time on earth was committed toward one goal, and that was saving those that would accept the sacrifice. He was making a sacrifice for those that would accept it. He said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. God said, no, son. You're the only one that can do this. That's not Bible. That's just me talking. But He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine, will, thine be done. Because he looked out on the sick. He looked out on the sinners. And he looked out on the backslidden. And he said, I'm going to die for you. But I need man. He, he, God could do it all himself. But he cho- chooses to use us. And then there's the spiritually dead. Look at uh, verse number 18 through 19. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him. I think I messed up. I did a little bit. Verse uh, verse 22, But when Jesus turned about and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Verse 23, And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame thereof went abroad into all that land. Now, I don't know that there's going to be people rising from the dead. If God chooses it, God chooses it. But for the purposes of our sermon, for the purpose of devotional, there's a lot of people that are asleep spiritually. There's people that have believed in God, but have gone asleep spiritually. They're They're going about their day. Maybe they're not backslidden. Maybe they're not caught up in sin. But maybe the things of God just don't mean much to them. We need God to open their eyes, open their spiritual eyes so they can see God's word. 
See the beauty in his word. See the beauty in walking close to him. There's a lot of people that sit in church every day just spiritually dead. We don't want to be a spiritually dead church. We want the Lord to revive us. We want the Lord to wake us up. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he'll send people. You know what we need people right now? We need a Sunday school teacher. We need, I need a helper. Not because we got so much going on, just need somebody. We just, teachers, whatnot, to grow. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. There's people that want to be taught, and there's kids that want to come to Sunday school. I think we got one right now. We're having the combined service, so they're not wanting to come. It's not as fun for kids to sit up there and listen to an old man talk. Amen? Spiritually dead. We don't want anybody in our church to be spiritually dead. We want to be a spiritually alive church. And then there's the blind. God opening up eyes to see his word. 31 to 34, the blind men. He said, but they, when they were departed, uh, verse 27, and when Jesus departed, thence two blind men followed him, crying and saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith unto them, believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, yea, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. And in the last one, the possessed. There are those that are into bonds of affliction and addiction. Uh, Verse 32, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so, so seen in Israel. And the Pharisees, we'll just throw them in there. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. People that are caught up in addiction. This is where I share something with you. I don't know what's going to happen yet. I'm praying about it. It may be. I don't know if I want to say too much yet. I got to find out some more stuff. I got to find out some more stuff. But I would like you all to be praying with me about a ministry that this church could do. And you may not know what it is. God knows what it is. But it just, sometimes you're walking along and God keeps putting these pieces in front of you. And you can't look at one and say, this is what God wants us to do because of this one thing. But things begin to move in that direction. And sometimes you find out that's not always the direction or that's not the right direction. Just pray that God will be in it, that if God wants it, that it works out. Amen. Did I leave y'all thoroughly confused? Did I leave y'all wanting more? Y'all look about asleep now. Do I need to go back to the dead? My goodness. And in the final part of our sermon, the laborers. Verse 38. Well, 37. Uh, let's, let's read those verses again. 36 to 38. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Imagine Jesus 
In his capacity, he's just a man. Well, excuse me. He's not just a man. He's God in, manifest in the flesh. Understand me. But he's limited himself a little bit in that he's present in one place. And as he goes and he sees all these people sick, all these people, we don't know how long this took, whether it's a day or what, but all these people that he comes into contact with that he's able to help, that desire his help. And he looks out. <clears throat> but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When we talk about the laborers, there's some unfaithful laborers. There's laborers that'll fleece the sheep. You understand what I'm saying? There's laborers that make a profession out of preaching. There's laborers that don't care what happened to the people. There's laborers that'll get out there and say, this, you know, it's all about the money. But he said, uh, he looks out, they've got the Pharisees and they've got the scribes. That's the ones they have to look up to. Jesus looks out and says, man, if this is all they had to look up to and they desire to know God, but they're not getting taught. Bless God, if you're not getting taught, let me know and pray with me so we can do better. But he looks out as sheep having no shepherd. Then he saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You know who doesn't send forth laborers? You. There's preachers that are mama called and daddy sent, but God didn't call them. We want God to call the missionary that we begin to support. We want God to be in whatever we do. We want to pray to the Lord that he'll send the laborers. You know, we can go through applications. We can look at men and we can be like old Sam, Samuel looking there and say, well, surely this is the one, Lord. And he said, no, that's not the one. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. You know the story, David. We tend to look at man and we say, man, surely this is the one. But God knows the heart. Can you imagine? We have the best HR department in the world, in the universe. Just think of it like that. If you had an HR department that knew all about everybody, they knew all their weaknesses, knew their fears, knew whether they were a diamond in the rough or whether they were a rough in a diamond. And they, somebody would walk up and they'd say, right, you don't want them. They're going through a rough patch. They're going to drag your business into the ground. Right, you don't want them. They're going to be stealing from you. We have the best HR department in the world. We turn to the Lord and say, Lord, send the laborers. God has been with them at every moment in their life, at every crossroads, things that we could never know. And if we begin to lean on the Lord, if we begin to have faith in God, and it doesn't mean blind faith, it doesn't mean that we ignore things. There's some things that people have done, you just don't put them in certain positions. But God has a way of, there's a person out there that's just right, it's just the right fit. And right now, they're, they're saying, Lord, what would you have me to do? All right, I'll share something. I just filtered it. I remember, I remember being in between church. I remember praying, Lord, what would you have me to do? 
you know I wouldn't be charismatic enough to start a church. You know that I, I'm not that good. What, what would you have me to do? I'll just let y'all figure out the rest of the story. I think you know the story. The harvest is the Lord's. He knows the harvest, every stem and blade of it. He knows everyone, every body and mind, act and thought, need and provision. He knows the heart and just what must be done to the harvest, to harvest the field in the most efficient and effective way. Matthew 10.30 says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So therefore, the laborers must be chosen, called, and enlisted by God. Christ is the one who must send forth the laborers. Christ is the one. We're praying to God, God will get the results. If we're relying on ourselves, and I thought about this, I, I thought about the ministries we look into and stuff, and uh, I just thought of this little phrase, you can take it how you want, but... If all we do is take care of somebody's material needs, I think that over time there's a tendency to rely on material resources. If all we do is take care of someone's material needs or people's material needs, then we're going to be leaning on material resources instead of leaning on God. We always want our focus as a church to be spiritual. That's how you stop from becoming a dead church. A church can have a lot of motion. A church can be doing things. People can be busy. I've seen it. Working in the kitchen, getting things ready for this meal or that meal or this event or that event. And and let's throw in a little bit of scripture here before the thing. But everybody is so busy doing everything else that God's word is just kind of thrown in there for seasoning. I think y'all know, well, that's not the way we want it. We want the events thrown in for seasoning, but we want God to have the preeminence in our lives. I think there's people looking for it. I think there's people out there that are tired of being sold one thing after another. I think there's people that just want to sit like Moody did when he was in London and listen to some preaching. I don't know. I'm going to leave y'all with that. Said Christ himself prayed all night before choosing the first laborers and before sending them out to the missionary journey. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it said, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. If Jesus prayed for the laborers, How much more should we? Maybe you'll stand.